Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. With your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Window on the West. My name is Jonathan Watson. I'm here along with um, Dan Coates, who is now below me this week. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why this is a thing on this, uh, this podcast yes. or this show. Uh, so Dan is our foundation today. He's the one setting the tone. And to my, mm-hmm. well, it's all, it's all, it's all weird uh, on the screen here. <laughs> to my left is Michael Grumbine, who's also uh, to my right on a map because he's in the Carolinas and I'm in. Or it's North Carolina? Mm. I wait, no, South. I'm Charlotte. South, okay. Yes, and I'm, I'm in Tennessee, New Nashville. Dan is all the way over on the left, literally. I'm on the left side coast. Left yeah. coast. Uh, so three time zones, but one podcast. Hey, what a great tagline. Uh, mm. This week, we're going to be going over Of the Noldor, Chapter 15 of the Sil- Silmarillion, Of the Noldor in Beleriand, because last week we got our massive, massive, massive geography lesson that um, is going to haunt us for weeks or, or months, yeah. depending on how long it takes us to get through Silmarillion. So uh, we, we addressed sort of some of the questions that, you know, where things are and who's where and all that sort of stuff. And while we don't have a, you know, a standard, um, all that is gold does not glitter today. What we what, what I want to bring up with you guys is to see how much we remember about uh, where things are and who is where. So let's talk about uh, the good thing that Michael brought up is like, you know, wh- where the families are in relation to everything. And so uh, as we look at this map, we remember who's in the middle. Fingle and thing, Melian. Thingle. Thingle. Yes. Sorry, Fingle so and Melian. I feel, I feel the, like a bad teacher the, who's like... The thing is in the middle. You know, the, the thing. The thing is in the middle. Hey. <laughs> there you go. You know, the it's thing. It's the middle thing. Goal. So Thingle right here uh, in Doriath mm-hmm. in the halls of Menegroth, the caves. Um, trying to zoom there. There we go. And uh, and then and then to the, to the west, we have one family. Which family is to the west? That would be the family of. Well, the, no, there's two families to the west. Well, so, oh, you mean directly to the west? So, so, so now this is why we're reviewing it, right? Because, well, to the to the west of Doriath, right? So, right here, we've got this area, and well, this yeah, area. Yeah, that's right Finarfin's. That's Finarfin, right? Right, but now, yeah, but now you've just included well, Fingolfin's uh, so family in that because you've, go right you've got there. Now, there. You go. So perhaps the better way to say it is like, where are the good guys? They're over here to the west. Mm-hmm. That was one thing. So good then, guys to the west, bad guys to the east. Right. And so we have this here. This is Tolkien's map. Just like the Cold um, War. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, if the shoe fits. Uh, uh, yes, you're right. Yes. Terrible. So we have <clears throat> Fingolfin up north, uh, up there, northwest, I guess. And then uh, over here, Finrod. To the, to the direct west and a little bit south. And then also, as you said, Kyrdin is also over here in the lower left. All right, so good job. I screwed it up, but uh, <clears throat> that's my lot in life because I don't remember things. Okay, so then to the east. Yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, to the west is 
first the House of Finarfin, and then as you keep moving northwest, the House of Fingolfin. So the, like you said, the good elves. Sorry. To the east are is the House of Fionor, or the bad elves. But I do like the I do like the visual in the center, starting you know spin the wheel, you know have yeah. have a center of the wheel, which is Thingol and Melian and Doriath, and then to your west you got the good guys, starting with the family of Finarfin, um, which uh, the which is four sons, and then as you move further northwest, the family of Fingolfin, which is um, two sons but technically fingolfin is still alive so there's three kingdoms yeah. um so technically you have th- uh, seven kingdoms against seven kingdoms if you if you um mm. do do the elves um that's a good way of looking at it seven kingdoms of good elves and seven kingdoms of not so good elves and if you can remember this good on you because i know i'm going to forget some of this is moving forward so that's our all that is gold because i hope you guys can get it straight well enough as we move forward and as we go through this, it'll probably help me a ton because I don't think I've ever gotten it down completely by any stretch of anybody's imagination. Well, we'll just keep talking about it. Yeah. So um, before we jump into the full chapter of the Noldor in Beleriand, I just want to remind everybody that we we are going to do an extended podcast here too, and we're going to address a couple questions. Really, really uh, super duper important ones like, do we speak any other languages? Like Sindar, Michael, I know you're... Uh, you're uh, fluent in Kuzdul. Kuzdul, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> I am not. Do, no, I, I know dwarves would teach me. I tried. Uh, yeah, it's too bad. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go through a couple of questions um, that we got about chapter 15. One about chapter 14, too, from uh, last week that we failed to catch from Naya. I apologize. But we'll go through that, too. And if you want to hear us talk about, um, you know, where the Elvish families were being formed and grown in Valinor, why don't they have kids? Like what, what's up with the, what, what's up with Feanor's kids not really having kids? Mm. They'll be stealing kids along the way. Right. Um, and uh, what, what's up with Melian and how, how did she not know as a Maiar what, why the Noldor came? Like what, why was it a surprise to her? Why did we, why, why do we have that moment in, in this upcoming chapter of Galadriel revealing what actually happened? Uh, and she didn't know it all. So is she, is she banished? Is she excommunicated from the communication with the Meyer like they have there. So we'll talk about that. Uh, if you want to hear that, you can go to thewondering.com slash patron and subscribe there. You get the extended po- podcast and ask questions in our Discord channels and chat with us with our video chats. So I uh, hope you join us there, thewondering.com slash patron. So let's kick off the chapter of the Noldor in Beleriand with Dead Big Thoughts. All right. Thanks for that intro, Jonathan. Um, Thanks my for getting my name thought. right this week. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't have to study a map with a bunch of names and rivers and mountains. It, my, my, my brain's a little clearer now. Um, so the, the two big things that happen it, it, that in this chapter seem to be Olmo showing um, Turgon where to go to set up the city of Gondolin. And he, like, leads them directly to the spot. He's, he kind of told them in a dream before, like, you kind of need to be looking for this kind of a place, and you need to set up a stronghold when, when the doomsday comes and get your bunker and your, uh, you know, your cans of, you know, soup and stuff, <laughs> your ammo. And so, but now in this chapter, he actually takes them to the location and, and shows him this little circle of mountains where there used to be a lake, but now there's, like, a, there's like a hill it's kind of reminiscent of the city in Valinor. So I thought that was interesting that Olmo 
is directly involving himself with elves in Middle Earth and Noldor elves to help them. Uh, maybe we can talk about whether or not that is violating, you know, kind of like the the curse of uh, Manway upon the elves. Hmm. Uh, and the other big thing that happens in this chapter is uh, Melian talking to Galadriel. And I guess my big thought regarding all this is that it would have been better for them if they had been more forthright and been honest. And, you know, honesty is the best policy. Maybe that's my big thought. It seems like if the elves had come and had just been like, hey, uh, you know, we came. Uh, the Valar did not send us, just to be clear, you know, like if they just kind of like, yeah. they kind of they made it seem like, oh, yeah, we're here to help you. The Valar sent us. And they didn't correct that idea. And uh, it, it leads to a lot of... Um, anger and resentment and uh, estrangement because they, they kind of feel like they lied. They, you, you guys didn't tell us why you're here. Um, so maybe, maybe it would have gone better for the Noldor elves to just be, you know, tell the truth and be forthright about it. And even Galadriel in this chapter, she's kind of like, Oh, you know, I don't want to talk about it. You know, <laughs> why, why, why go, why go into those bad memories or whatever? And, 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 Melian's like pressing her like she's like, why don't you tell me? Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's mm -hmm. very fascinating that just that um, we, we, we think of like, like, like coming from the Peter Jackson movies, you get the idea the elves are like these pure, pristine people that never do anything wrong. And, and, and we're seeing in the Cimmerillion that the elves are lying and <laughs> murdering and killing their own people and. And then even when they're they're trying to move on from their past, they still don't tell the truth. They still they're still not honest about it. Yeah, when Melian presses Galadriel, she never fully reveals. Um, well, she does, I guess, after. But her first statement isn't to say like, "You're right. Yep, we didn't come here to save you from Morgoth. We we, we didn't come here to help defend you." Uh, she says when when um, Melian tells her, um, "Let me get the line exactly right." She says, for what cause, Galadriel, were the high people of the Noldor driven forth as exiles from Amman? Or what evil lies on the sons of Feanor that they are so haughty and so fell? Do I not strike near the truth? Near, said Galadriel, save that we were not driven forth, but came of our own will and against that of the Valar. And through great peril and in despite of the Valar, for this purpose we came, to take vengeance upon Morgoth and regain what he stole. She doesn't go into the detail of exactly right. what happened on their exit. And the kind of leader that Feanor was that pulled them over with the kinslaying. Uh, but then what, after, go ahead. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of Hillary Clinton going, <laughs> at this point, what difference does it make? <laughs> She's just like, just get over it. It's in the past. Don't worry about it. Stop asking questions, you know? Um, you're, you've watched too much Rings of Power so comparing Galadriel <laughs> with Hillary Clinton at this point. Yeah, Yikes. Sorry. I, how much. How do I, where do we go from, <laughs> from here? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, but she did, but then Galadriel did spell, speak to Melian of the Sil Silmarils, but starting off on that, on that wrong foot where right. uh, they don't trust each other at all at this point um, leads to the, my favorite statement of the entire, the entire chapter, uh, which is, I think maybe is, is kind of like my big thought uh, regarding the relationship that uh, the children of Feanor have with really uh, well, with Thingol and Melian, but even the, the other elves, which is um, when, when uh, let's see here. <clears throat> She's, uh, Melian says to Thingol, a grief but lulled to sleep lies between the princes of the Noldor, meaning the grief of the, fa the, 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 
uh, the, the wrath of the Valar, right? The grief that they are no longer in Amon. Uh, and he, he answered, what is, that of, what is that to me? Of Feanor I have heard but report, which makes him great indeed. Of his sons I hear little to my pleasure, yet they are likely to prove the deadliest foes of our foe. So again, this is the USSR, the Cold War that Michael <laughs> brought up last episode. The USSR and the allies getting together and saying like, okay, we've got a bigger bad guy to defeat and uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend right now. But then she says, well, my favorite line of the whole chapter, their swords and their councils shall have two edges. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, so the, you know, the sword cuts both ways, but also their councils will cut both ways. So don't trust them both in battle or in council. And you know, what's funny is that was one of uh, three quotes that I wanted to pick out from this chapter was that exact quote. And the, what I wrote next to that quote was, learn Amazon how to write a deep, a <laughs> no. deep sentence. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So much is said in those those short words. Um, uh, it is better than the um, uh, the the wine of victory is sweetest <laughs> to those who have uh, is I can't remember. is most bitterest. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's not really that, but uh, oh, yes, it's yes, the way it comes across. Um, so, so yeah. So that's a a parallel. Melian's conversation with Thingol is really interesting because after that they spoke about it no more, which sounds really weird because they are married. And this is a really important matter, and they speak about it no more. Um, they're they're immortal beings, so they have lots of time to speak about things. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> and so it's very odd to me, but it, it parallels the previous conversation Melian had with Galadriel, which after that conversation says they spoke about it no more. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Galadriel's ending line to that conversation, or Melian's uh, line and then Galadriel's, was this. But Melian said, now much you tell me, and yet more I perceive, a darkness you would cast over the long road from Tyrion. But I see evil there, which Thingol should learn for his guidance. Maybe, mm-hmm. said Galadriel, but not of me. Hmm. So she's saying, um, it, it's the ultimate dodge. It's, it, it is. It's, she's just saying, you know what? You're, you're, obviously, the wisdom of Melian is correct, and she knows that she sees something on the, the road of Tyrion. From Tyrion was the, where the Kinslain started in the Doom of Mandos and the burning of the ships and all. Um, and so she's, uh, you know, she's she's caught. You know, Galadriel's caught, and her response is, "I'm just not going to talk about it. I plead the fifth, and and it's just it's not going to be it's not going to come from me. Maybe Thingol should learn it, but maybe it's not going to come from me." To my mind, this is the Galadriel that there should be de- plot, de- character development from. Mm-hmm. If there's good, if you're going to choose a Galadriel as a character, you, the, yeah. the Galadriel, like you were saying, Dan, that that is that is um, for long periods of time while she's living with Melian is hiding the truth, and then even when directly put to her, she she will not speak of it. She dodges. She she'll she accepts no responsibility for what for what's happened, and it has to come out. Um, in anger from her brother, as it turns out, um, when her brother, uh, this this was Angrod, her brother, who, um, when their brothers come to visit her, the the dam spills open and they they let out the truth. And the reason they let out the truth was because Finrod, the oldest of them, is challenged by Fingal, <clears throat> who's heard rumors of the kinslaying, and Fingal gets very angry with him, and Finrod. It says, then Fenron was greatly troubled, but he was silent, for he could not defend himself, 
save by bringing charges against the other princes of the Noldor, and that he was loath to do before Thingol. So, so here's the thing. So Finrod, remember, Finrod, these are all sons of, and, and Galadriel, daughter of Finarfin. They were not at the kinslaying. They, right. Or they arrived at the very, very end, and there's some doubt as to whether they even took part in any battle at all. Um, and so, uh, and if they did, they were fooled by the Fionorians. And so, so there, he, he's, he, he wants to defend himself, Finrod does, but he, his wisdom, he has more wisdom and, and care for his, even though they're, they're, they were traitorous, he's forgiven them like his father has, Fingolfin, and um, he's not going to throw the sons of Fionor under the bus. But he has a brother, Angrod, who's happy to throw the sons of Fionor <laughs> under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I got to like, Angrod and Ignor are the two brothers of Finarfin. They're the closest to Morgoth. They, mm-hmm. they, their realms sit right on his, the edge of his doorstep, um, the, to, directly to the south of Thangoradrim, the mountains. And they're the, they're the first in line. If, if a, if a te- I gotta, you got to think that for those two brothers, they're just much more, I, I got to think of their characters a little more brutal. They're just, they're, they're sort of very, pra- and so, so they're, so finally Angrod just spills the beans and says, look, we were fooled. We had a, our, our mistake was a folly um, and listening to Fionor and, and basically following his will. And he says, and we became as if besotted with wine and as briefly. In other words, our mistake was brief. Now, what's interesting about that, and then he goes to throw Fionor's kid, um, yeah. um, sons under the bus and say they were the ones that did all the evil. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong about their evil. That's what they're like. In, in truth, it was the sons of Fionor that were the worst. What is interesting to me is when Angrod spills the beans, there's a one line from Melian, who, again, is ag- accounted from a previous chapter, the wisest of the beans in Middle Earth right now. And what's her response when he, when he throws the, the sons of Fionor under the bus? She says, yet the shadow of Mondos lies on you also, said Melian. In other words... Yeah, but she had a chance to turn back after Mondos, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like your father, you know, Fenarfin, and you didn't. So it, you can't, you can, you, you can rightly point out that it was the sons of Fionor that did all the kinslaying and burning of the ships, um, which is a great blow, of course, to Thingol because it's his brother that they attacked and brother's people that they attacked and slew. Um, but you can't bow out of all responsibilities, is what Melian is saying, is saying to the sons of Fenarfin. And she's right. They 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 do have they are they do fall under the ban of the Valar and the 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 um, curse of Mandos because yeah. they fought they they turned they did not turn back and ask forgiveness. I, there there are two things about this part that that or or two things I thought about. One is that well, the one thing you brought up about how uh, Finrod wouldn't throw Fanor's kids under the bus. Right. He 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 wouldn't. What did he write? He he wouldn't bring charges against the other princes. He was loath. And I thought to myself, well, why, why would he do that? Why why? And I thought, like, well, they grew up together. They, they how many how hundreds thousand years were they together? Um, and so Probably his relation, right? Yeah, and so this re, the, on a on a scale of length of relationships, this is a literal like paper thin sliver in their life with with Menegroth, uh, with Thingol and and uh, Melian, and so he still has more commitment. 
to the brothers of Feanor and who he knew them for rather than maybe who they became over the last however many dozens of years, hundred years. Right, right. Um, so that was, that was um, the first thing that struck me. The other one is that uh, why was Angrod, why, why would he be so um, uh, angry about that? And I think it's because the line that he, he says, uh, when he spoke bitter, bitterly against the sons of Feanor, telling of the blood at the Alqualanda and the doom of Manbaus and the burning of the ships at Lasco, right? He readily admits to everything. Uh, even though theoretically he had nothing to do with the burning of the ships at Lascar. Uh, he cried, wherefore should we that endured the grinding ice bear the name of kinslayers and traitors? I think he feels like they've paid the price already. They, the amount of loss that they experienced on the grinding ice, the amount of difficulty and, and destruction that they had to pass through in order to get there. And then once they get there, they immediately are in battle essentially. Right. He, I think he feels like the debt has been paid, at least emotionally, right? Like he's the hot-headed one. And that, that's what he right. feels like. And so his reaction is that. That was uh, the way I, I, I took those statements um, in sort of a, a more in-depth, like looking backwards kind of uh, approach. Yes. And, and what's interesting, I like that, Jonathan, because what's interesting is Thingol, in his anger, still seems to draw distinctions between the three um, families. Mm. He says... So he kind of agrees with Angrod in a way. He says, go now, for my heart is hot within me. Later you may return if you will, for I will not shut my doors forever against you, my kindred, that were ensnared in an evil that you did not aid. So here's point of analysis is number one by Thingol. You, sons of Finarfin, I'm not going to shut my doors forever, so leave now, but you can come back later because you're my kin, and you were ensnared in an evil you did not aid. In other words, you didn't even take, participate in the kinslaying, is what a Thingol thinks anyway from that. From that, then his point of analysis number two: How about the next house, Thingolfins? With Thingolfin and his people, also I will keep friendship, for they have bitterly atoned for such ill as they did. So he's almost accepting Angrod's mm -hmm. excuse for fin, for Thingolfin, even though he doesn't have the bonds of family with Thingolfin. So he's like, they've paid the price. I'll even forgive them, although they can't come before me. And in our hatred of the power that wrought all this woe, our griefs shall be lost. So in other words, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm -hmm. um, but hear my words. Never again in my ears shall be heard the tongue of those who slew my kin in Alqualande. So now he's judging the sons of Fionor. And he say, he's saying that to them, I'm, my anger has turned. Nor, nor in all my realm shall it be spo openly spoken while my power endures. All the Sindar shall hear my command that they shall neither speak with the tongue of the Noldor nor answer to it. And all such as use it shall be held slayers of kin and betrayers of kin unrepentant. So I laughed when I, when I read this because what is this? He's obviously judging the sons of Fionor for what they did and, and expressing his anger. But he, what is he doing? What's his punishment? It's the worst thing that a philologist could come up with. <laughs> no one may speak your language ever again in my presence. <laughs> oh, that's that's so the true. worst thing that could happen. Yeah. It's not that you're just banned yeah. from my presence. It's that no one could ever talk like you anymore. I will never hear a single person <laughs> talk like you unless they want to be called traitors too. 
That's funny. I hadn't thought of it that way. I thought of it more um, when he said, I, I, you know, the, you know, Noldor, only Sindarin will be spoken now, right? The only, and what, what did they say? The uh, Noldor that followed, uh, da, 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 it was about, like, it's, oh, the high speech of the West was only spoken by the lords of the Noldor among themselves. Yep. Uh, or that speech lived ever as a language of lore. By so that's removing, Quenya. Yeah, yeah. That's, by removing the, the, the language, they're removing the history, right? You can't, like, it's sort of like everything now will be told the way we want to tell it, not the way you want to tell it. Good point. So um, it's, 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 it is like, it's, I like the philologist approach, but I think it's even more so that's like, we're, we're, we're destroying your backstory now. Like, you are here and you're going to be under, at least in my realm, we won't even speak in your language because um, uh, we're, we're going to make sure that that history does not ensnare us at all, which we find out more about later. <laughs> right. So that's that's the key. That's the most important story of this chapter. Yeah. So I agree with yeah. you, Dan. This was the this was the best one. There are a couple others, though. I think the yeah. other one that, that struck me is, is obviously, is, well, is what Dan brought up is the, the Turgon-Olmo connection we've got going on. Uh, and maybe the easiest place to go to from that is how uh, Olmo warned Turgon that he also lay under the doom of Mandos. So Tolkien writes that uh, mm -hmm. Ulmo warned Torgon that he also lay under the doom of Mandos, which Ulmo had no power to remove. Thus it may come to pass, he said, that the curse of the Noldor shall find thee too ere the end and treason awake within thy walls. So just like, um, you know, the, he, he might have crossed over the Helcaraxa too and, and uh, felt like he paid his dues, but Valar reminding nope. him. Nope, nope, nope. You, not you good enough. Paying the punishment, you got to pay the punishment that it, was doomed for you to actually. Yeah, uh, it's good enough for Thingol because Thingol's got a common enemy with Mor and Morgoth with you, and Thingol is of your kin, and so he's had got empathy for the loss of all your people that you lost in the Grady Nice. But it's not good enough in general. Um, it's not good enough for the Valar. It doesn't doesn't um, the 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 ban of the Valar um, does not care. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It makes me wonder why Olmo is even bothering. Well, this is where Michael eats crow, right? So, <laughs> so Michael has this list of all the sins of the Valar, and, mm -hmm. and I've been talking about this over the la last months of, of our podcasting. But it turns out Olmo does not fall under this because he is taking a direct hand. He, he knows that he won't even be able to save them ultimately, but yet he's willing to, he says... Um, <clears throat> Longest of all the realms of the Aldalier shall Gondolin stand against Melkor. Oh, he calls him Melkor. Interesting. Oh, wow. But, but love not too well the work of thy hands and the devices of thy heart, and remember that the true hope of the Noldor lieth in the west and cometh from the sea. Of course, he's making a reference to his own realm, but if yeah. the Valar, Valar are to come, they are to come from the sea, from across the sea. So fair enough. Um, so he's 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 willing to take all this action. Um, Olmo is in, to inspire in the hearts of Turgon and Finrod to build these realms to try to try to shield the elves. Even though he knows he um, knows that they're, they're not going to be successful ultimately, he's willing. So he's willing to go out on a limb and take personal involvement just to delay the inevitable in his mind. Mm. Um, and that's 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 a sign of someone of love. I mean, that's so so I'm I. I, I I, I rescind my commentary about about um, the inaction of the Valar when it comes to Olmo. Hmm. 
we can give one a hall pass for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's setting he's setting up right. So he has he has Turgon get the um, uh, he gets the proper shield or the uh, the armor. Let me I'm trying to find that point too, uh, and the sword before the one who will come later. Helm, mail, and shield. Helm, mail, and shield. All right, um, and he leads him. Oh, sorry, helm, mail, and sword. Not helm, mail, yeah, the sword. And he leads him to Gondolin. Does he actually lead him? I'm, I've always wondered, like, uh, does he tell him where it is or does he actually lead them? Because Gondolin is not near the sea at all. And I couldn't find the, the, the stream that Ulmo would, would follow up because Ulmo returned. Uh, so uh, he writes, Ulmo declared. To, uh, you can't find it because it's under the ground. That's why it's not on the map. Oh, right. Well, yes. But when, when maybe this is my own, like, I'm, I'm still trying to get the map under control. Let me <laughs> let me take a, a quick look here. Like so, here we go. So Gondolin is uh, Gondolin, which is my favorite city, just the way it mm-hmm. looks. I, I'll, I'm going to bring up a Ted Nasmith picture here. Gondolin, right there, right in the middle. Um, that Ted Nasmith picture is gorgeous. Yeah, and so and here's the ocean. Look way over there, and then um, we can look. That's uh, what 150, 300 or so miles, perhaps, from the ocean mm-hmm. to there. There is not a river, right? Is it, is it the river? I don't even know. But there's not a river that goes all the way over here. How, does it? Did I miss it's, it? Where, it's the Syrian. It's the the top of the, the one of the branches that goes on the west side of Doriath right here, from from one. the mountains. Um, right there, I'm guessing, perhaps. Yep. Yep. There. So it's yeah. part of the Syrian, whatever that whatever that says i can't make it out in yeah, the, the um but but uh what okay, that little okay. that little branch so to me that's the branch or it's the other one on the other uh to the south uh east of mm-hmm. gondolin but either yeah that little one right there you know yeah. goes through the word it it, it ap- disappears and reappears a very thin black okay. line okay. so it's one of those two river sources that are in the mountains that, it, that he's following up and and i guess um, he does say does he say that he led him up the syrian he uh, says, uh, I don't know if he says up the Syrian, but it says. Yeah. Um, had devised, they said, watch about a nomad come from and power of Omal that ran in Syria protected them. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I believe it. It's, uh, the, you know, potato, potato. Yes. He, but he there, was a, there was a deep way under the mountains, delved in the darkness of the world by waters that flowed out to join the streams of Syrian. Okay. Right. So, so it's. That's, that makes sense. It, and that's how those waters. ends up getting there too, eventually. Correct. Um, mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, this again, like we're, this is funny cause these aren't really stories right now. We're still setting things up. Yeah. Tolkien um, is setting everything up here. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I just want to bring up this one picture. I know, sorry guys, you're on audio, but, um, this picture here of Gondolin, Beautiful because, picture. uh, this is by Ted Nasmith. Uh, and, uh, man, I think when I was, when I got my first job, like in college, and I was the first first job sitting at a computer. I I got this picture and I threw it up as like my background because I'm like this is the most amazing picture I have ever seen. Uh, this and Rivendell was also really good by Ted Nasmith. But yeah, I just love that, that you've got the, the fountains there. You've got the mountain in the middle, right? That's um, like like uh, Tyrion on Tuna, right? Isn't that what it is like? And again, he's yes. What's funny to me is about the the whole thing about Gondolin is that he's retreating. He's doing what <laughs> what the what the Valar have taught him to do. Uh, he's not Feanor, right? He's not going to go and attack Morgoth. He's going to go and find a safe place that reminds him of home, of Valinor, and build that. He took 52 years, Yep. built this city. 
refuge. Took, took what a third of the Noldor or a third of his kin, a third of Fingolfin's kin. I can't remember exactly what that was, but some I think the third was the number that stuck out to me. And ends up going to, to this city of Gondolin, which no one knows about, which he told no one about, and no one let, leaves. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. There's this, this huge secret, and the, the the elves leave slowly in companies, secretly, and, and then him, king, the king, and his company last. So basically, you have a whole elven population that just disappears from the northwest part of the map that we were we've been talking much about in the last two episodes, and relocates to a single city hidden deep in the mountains, which will be, in fact, the last bastion. Um, in middle in middle earth yes right against uh against uh and we get some great battles in there too the whole i think is it in it's in children of Hurin, which i think is the extended it sequence. is children of Hurin. it's so great it's so great i can't wait to do that book so uh so and you know what's funny this is kind of like rohan on steroids or uh mm. it's, it, it, again it's the earlier version and uh it's much better because it's a city on a in the middle of that's a right. valley because everything is always better when it's done first yeah right <laughs> Edoras, but much bigger and better um yeah anything else we have in this chapter guys any any other points that we wanted to bring up um yeah one one thing that jumped out to me was regarding the whole galadriel keeping things from melian and the the noldor not being truthful one thing that's interesting to me is that morgoth is kind of like He's the accuser. He 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 is like Satan in this chapter because he's he's sowing uh, the seeds of discord by by whispering. He's whispering all these rumors and lies, and you know even pointing back at at them the the bad things they've done. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, and, and so the, all these whispers and rumors are what's circulating around, and everyone's talking about what the Noldor did or didn't do, or and I, I thought that was interesting that. Um, you know, he that's 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 his first point of attack is weakening it's them the th- weakening them through a, the accusations of what they've done and the the whispers about what they've done it's really interesting that you say that dan because I, when i was reading it and you're saying it right now i was thinking to myself you know this is fascinating because this is the one time in tolkien's work that i can remember where the peoples of middle earth they have the upper hand in terms of power like Morgoth, Sauron's boss, can't beat the elves. He hmm. has, like, hmm. martial might avails him not. He, it wasn't until he invents the dragons and breeds them up to and then apocalypse-level army that, that, uh, that you... He, the elves, for hundreds of years, they've got his number, the, the Noldor do. And so he can't win through might of arms, which is one of, a first for... Like, if you read all of Lord of the Rings, the whole point from a military perspective is you're never going to win against Sauron. No matter how many sieges of, of Minas Tirith you win, you're not going to, it's not going to happen. Um, but this time it, it, Morgoth can't beat the elves. And so what does he do? He, re, he resorts to deceit and lies. He sows the discord and starts the cracks and the fissures in that regard. I wonder what the relationship between like it would have been interesting if Tolkien would have expounded more on what he saw the relationship between Círdan and Thingol. Like, how how close were hmm. they as the Sindar who were there before, right before the Noldor came? Like, were they did they support each other? Did they always have each other's back? Because it's it's Círdan uh, who says uh, who tells 
Thingol of the the rumors of the kinsling, um, right? Because uh, let's see, the line is um, when the cinder came, cured and hearing these dark tales of uh, the, the like you were saying, that Dan the uh, the distrust that he was that he was uh, insinuating uh, was troubled. He, he was wise and perceived swiftly that true or false. They were put about it this time through malice. So Kierden, just by hearing it, he had the insight to know that this is done to, to drive a wedge between people. But though the malice he deemed was that of the princes of the Noldor, because of the jealousy of their houses, therefore he sent messengers to Thingol to tell all that he had heard. So I was just, I was just wondering, like, what was their relationship like? Because Kierden's the guy who we have this sort of like, we, we see a silhouette all the time. We don't ever see the person in a way. They're all of Tolkien's right. We, we, a, a bearded silhouette. He, yeah. <laughs> He casts a shadow uh, on a lot of the stuff. We never get to really meet the character much. Uh, and I lament that. I wish we would have. I've always I've always thought it was. I mean, he's one of the oldest elves in Middle-earth. He is the oldest elf in Middle-earth, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was building ships before Fionor was born, hmm. um, or around that time anyway. Um so, so it's, it's, uh, he's, he's a, yeah, we just don't get to meet him very much. Yeah. Yeah. He actually held one of the Elven Rings of Power for a long time. That's right. That's right. One of the uncut gems. Joking. Sorry, please. I can't help but the occasional Rings of Power reference. Sorry. Sorry. I, I mean, of all the things, like, <laughs> no, sorry. Stop it, Michael. Oh. Don't even know. <laughs> the elves, that yeah. was the mark of the Noldor, was they cut gems. That was what made them special about gem cutting. They cut gems. They have a bunch of, un, of lumpy, uncut rocks sitting in there as the, oh my gosh. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Bring it down. All right. So let's end with the, with the last sentence where we talk about uh, Torgon's wife. Where he said, "Is said that not until the hour had such cold thoughts ruled him." Meaning, when he told uh, the oath that he swears, or is no, it's Finrod. Sorry, not Turgon. This is Finrod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the real the, Finrod. The the real Finrod. Um, when he swears an oath, uh, he's in Nargothrond at this point. Yes, he's in Nargothrond. Yes. Um, so King Finrod, Finrod Felgund had no wife, and Galadriel asked him why this should be. But foresight came upon Felgund, just came upon him. As she spoke, and he said, An oath I too shall swear, and must be free to fulfill it, and go into darkness, nor shall anything of my realm endure that a son should inherit. But it is said that not until that hour had such cold thoughts ruled him, for indeed she whom he had loved was Amarie of the Vanyar, and she went not with him into exile, which means she's still... In Valinor. Um, yes. So the Va- the Vanyar exactly, and we don't we don't hear much about the Vanyar. Um, Finway, um, Fionor's mother, um, uh, Fionor's father married a Vanyar woman, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, we don't we just don't hear much about the Vanyar. Their one mark is that they're just utterly faithful to the Valar, so they never mm-hmm. they they just never waver hmm. um, of any of, of any of the elves. They don't tarry. Like the Sindar, the Sindar and the people of <clears throat> the Grey Elves, mm-hmm. they don't get lost like the Green Elves. They don't turn away like the Noldor. Um, they're they're always faithful. And it's so, interesting because this is the one time that Tolkien brings up, like for these characters, the spouses in a way. Right. right? So with, with all the rest of the children, I don't even know if they're mentioned much, if at all. Angrod, Angrod, Emrod, Am, Am, Amras, uh, Kilgorm, Kurufim, like all these guys. Right. We don't really hear. I remember right, unless it's in the history. Not much. I don't remember about anything. But he he feels like it's it's important enough to bring that up. 
with the character that he saw. So I don't know why. Just thought it was interesting. Well, That's think about this. I this is what struck me as soon as you reread that. I didn't think about it when I reread when I read this chapter. But as you were rereading it, Jonathan, um, why is it that the people of Finarfin? See, see, Finrod is a son of Finarfin. Mm-hmm. So is Galadriel, daughter of Finarfin. So are the three brothers, Orodreth, um, Angrod, and Ignor. Mm-hmm. Um, why did they come to Middle Earth? Well, to do, uh, do you either of you remember why they came to Middle Earth? Well, to have a kingdom of their own. Exactly. And what's the what's what's special about kingdoms? You pass them on. You pass them on. That that's is your the, legacy. Is and the so, doom? Yeah, go ahead. No, that's what I'm just saying. Finrod is realizing at that moment that the life that he was meant to have was behind in Valinor, yeah. and that what he mm. what he's what he has mm. sought out, which is the the he's come to Middle Earth to have a kingdom, and guess what? It worked. He's got one, and he's got an amazing hall, and, and you know, like you know, built after Menegroth, the style of Menegroth in Nargothrond, and he is he's set up like he's one of the he's the um, he's he's going to inherit from his father Fingolfin the the high kinship of all of the Noldor, and yet he's seen prophetically that all of it's going to come to nothing, and it isn't even worth. There's nothing to leave his sons, and he wouldn't want to. So he's kind of he's kind of like darkly repenting at this point is what yeah. the way I, I I read that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the doom of Mandos, right? You're you're, you're all gonna yep destroyed. Die. Even your so kingdoms just, will come to nothing. Maybe he's just hastening it with that. Last call, guys. Any other further statements? I still love just the line, the best line of the entire chapter. Their swords and their councils shall have two edges. So next time I'm on a meeting with a client that I don't like, I'm going to say, you know. <laughs> Sounds to me like your, your council has two edges. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Because a really cool one-liner makes you think without spelling everything out for you or oh. f- trying, trying to force wisdom down your throat. Right. And from a like character... the sea is always right oh or a rock only looks downward well, or something. It's... It's said with characters that we know already, so we start reading into. We know what the disposition of some of these characters are is already, and so to have the have that said about them, you're like, you're right. They're they're mm. good. We know we know that they're in it for themselves, but they're going to do what they have to do, and uh, you know, and make the alliances they need to make in order to defeat Morgoth. That's their goal because of what their 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 oath to their father. But it just you th- it makes you think so so much more in so much more detail just based on that one short nine word phrase. All right, next week everybody we are on into chapter 16, a real story of Maeglin. Uh and uh, this will be fun. This will be good. We're getting Right, we're we're, we're, we're done with the broad brush sketches for for the moment. We're you're, we're going to get into some nitty-gritty. Your your brain won't hurt as much in this one or my only so, <laughs> Uh, but Dan, Dan, you do have something for us today as we, um, as we jump into, if you like Tolkien, Dan, you brought something again this week. You know, I, I told you I was going to bring something and I forgot it at home. So I will mention it. And now Jonathan Watson will have to go in and post and put this up on the screen. No, I don't have to do it in post. Oh, wow. There you go. So my, uh, if you like Tolkien this week, a couple weeks ago, I had brought up the Reiner Knizia board game, The Lord of the Rings, which is a co-op game way before pandemic. This is Lord of the Rings, The Confrontation. And there are two versions of this. They're both out of print. So I'm bringing up another out of print game. So now you can go on eBay and spend $100 for a board game Wait, if you're so inclined. Didn't you get on my tail for like bringing up the Wired Magazine article that it wasn't out of print too? not my fault 
Well, okay. Well, this is this is actually a board game, so it's not a lame magazine. So, so, so this is also designed. This is also designed by Reiner Knizia, and the version that you want to get, if you can find it, is the Lord of the Rings: The Confrontation, the Deluxe Edition, which is a it's it's each character has a double sided. And what this game is, unlike a co op game, this is this is a combative game. And it's it's like Stratego if you've ever played Stratego, where your your troops are hidden behind this little shield that Jonathan is showing on the screen, and they have values. I forget the numbers, but you know, let's say Gandalf is a six, and and Pippin's a one, and so oh, there you go. You can see Gandalf right is there. a five. I can't believe you forgot. That. <laughs> so sad. So so what it is is you you're, you're marching your guys forward, and you you win as the fellowship if you're able to get Frodo to the other side of the board. You want him to be in Mordor with the ring, and you lose if Frodo gets captured. And uh, not only is it revealing characters once you move them into an enemy territory where the number it's not just the numbers, you also have cards that you're playing. And so you are secretly playing these cards and revealing them at the same time. They'll either add to your number. So if you have a, a level five character, you add a number and now he's a seven or an eight or a nine. So you're trying to gamble. You're trying to figure out the value of your units where they are. It's a very tactical experience. And you have you also have some um, some limited number of spell cards. So like the the cards will let you break the rules of the game in various ways. Mm. And it's it's a very cool game. You're it's 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 tactical, and you're managing this hand of cards. You're like, well, I, I know he already played the six, so I know he can't play that. And he's got a two, a three, and some spell cards. So if he reveals Saruman, and I've got and I and I know where Frodo is, and I'm trying to march him around this way. What card do I need to play in this situation? So it's it's really huh. cool. I love this game so much. That sounds way better than Stratego, honestly. It's Stratego on steroids. Yeah. It's it's, <laughs> it's honestly like the best, one of the best games of all time. Wow, wow. That's why it's High still praise. in print. It, yeah, <laughs> I know Fantasy Flight reprinted it a few years ago, and uh, unfortunately, it's it's right now it's not in print. So. Yeah. You gotta well, you find can, it somewhere. Yeah, you can get it on eBay. There are there are places. It is not cheap though. Not cheap. Not and cheap. that's that's the first edition with, with. So the cool thing that's about the deluxe version is that you have alternate characters. You you can turn the cardboard around, and now it's a different uh, version of Frodo, or a different cool. version, or or even a whole new character um, that that wasn't in the original game. All right. So the original game is great, but if nice. you want the full experience, get the deluxe somewhere. They got they got to have it somewhere. I'm just you know I never started off playing board games a whole lot, and so I never got into it. But man, this was this looks like fun. This one, I do. Oh, dude, it's it's great. <clears throat> that looks awesome. So so I'll put a link um, to to eBay and to uh, to uh, this board game geek site uh, so that you guys can check it out. Uh, and if you have uh, an eighty spot there to throw to whatever, hey, Christmas money. That's coming up. It's worth it, in my it's opinion. It. It's worth yeah. it. Hopefully, they'll reprint it. Sometimes they do. The Rings of I'd Power have... wasn't popular enough to actually uh, justify <laughs> reprinting <laughs> this one. So, I'd have to, I'd have yeah. to check on Board Game Geek how many plays I have of that game, but I, I, I would imagine it's in the 30s or 40s. I, I, I log my plays because I'm a nerd like that. But <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's all right. We're all nerds here together, Dan. It's okay. That's right. I found I'm my people. Support you. You're supporting us now because you're on the bottom. <laughs> yeah so if you want to discuss this more and if you want to learn more about this here which dan will be giving us a full rundown of the next time he plays board game geek in our discord chat no i don't know if he will but 
it makes for a good transition. So if you want to join us and if you want to uh, learn more about some of this stuff and post some questions directly to me and to Dan and to Michael and to the other really knowledgeable folks in our Discord server, you can go to theonering.com slash patron and you can join there $4 a month. First month is free and you get the extended podcast, which is great because this week we're going to be going into some details on uh, some questions uh, that Naya posted and, and Lynn posted and we've got a couple others too. One being... Uh, you know, why, why doesn't Melian know about the Dolnor? Why, why, why is she in the dark or, uh, regarding chapter 14 before and all the different, uh, families and stuff. Why, what, what's up with the families of the Noldor? Why are they so small? Like what, why didn't they grow? Like what happens? Um, what are the decisions there? You can kind of delve into some of that and then, um, we'll find out, um, how well Dan speaks Quenya. Because <laughs> I don't speak it at all. <laughs> we'll go there. Anyway, nice having you with us. I hope you join us for the extended podcast. Go to thewonder.com slash patron and get that there. And we are off, leaving you behind in our dust. I'm sorry. We're dropping you off on the side of the road. Um, and uh, we'll see you next week as we go to chapter 16 of Meglin. Right. Bye-bye. Bye.